0: We continue our study of 1 Corinthians, specifically chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. No one is ever saved in response to any message other than the true gospel. The word gospel literally means good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news about salvation through Jesus Christ available only by faith in him. Please listen to Pastor Harris as he delivers today's slice of this week's message entitled, The Gospel. When Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was bearing God's wrath that you deserve for your sin. And right now, as you walk by faith, you are saved. You are also experiencing salvation now in the daily living part of it, because you're experiencing salvation from sin's power. You used to be a slave to sin. Now, with the Holy Spirit within you, with the Word of God available to you through which He leads you, you have all you need to avoid sin and to live for His glory. And while you're moving along through this life you have what Peter mentioned, that imperishable and unfading hope and that confidence. One day you will stand in His presence with that inheritance, and there you will be saved from sin's presence. So, in the past, by the work of Christ, the moment you believe, you're saved from sin's penalty. In the present right now, you are saved from sin's power, and you will be saved from sin's presence. It's a very simple little way to remember your salvation from beginning to end. God is perfect. Therefore, the salvation that He provides, it is complete. It cannot be lost. And the gospel is the means by which you learn of God's provision. It is the means of salvation. Fourth thing we can say about the gospel, it includes evidence. Back to verses 1 and 2 again. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. What he's saying is your salvation is vain unless this message is real, unless this is the truth. And it's not empty, it's not vain, because it is, and here's the connection to this great chapter, it is proven by the resurrection of Jesus. And this introduces the theme that we're going to study in detail from verse 12 all the way through the end of this chapter. There's 58 verses in this chapter. We won't take 58 weeks. We'll take it in some pretty good-sized chunks, but we're going to study through the whole thing. Or maybe as the famous apologetics resource book that Josh McDowell wrote years ago labels it, the gospel is... Evidence that demands a verdict. Or the resurrection is evidence that demands a verdict. It's of a gospel that demands a verdict. So that's the nature of the gospel. And that brings us now to the facts of the gospel. Verses 3 and 4 in 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance. Remember how he says when he came there? I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. I delivered it to you just as I received it. The objective truth and the facts of the gospel are established. We know exactly when Paul first received the good news. It was on the road to Damascus where he was about to go and persecute some of, the, some of the believers and arrest people in the churches there. But he was spun around and brought to faith in Christ. Then he was further instructed by God, in his case, through direct revelation. We could look at that in other passages and see how he was trained for really 14 years before he began his public ministry. The gospel is what is received from God, and it keeps getting delivered over and over. Completely transferable, completely contagious. And it leads to the salvation of every soul that comes to faith in Christ. Nothing else has ever saved anyone. Paul says this is as of first importance, This is the reason I came to you in Corinth. This was what I preached when I was there in the synagogue. This is what I preached when I was going to the Gentiles. This is what I've preached before kings. This is what I've preached everywhere I've gone. It's the most essential truth upon which everything else is based when it comes to life and godliness. So what are the facts of the gospel as Paul states them here in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4? Fact number one. Christ died for our sins. The cross is at the heart of the gospel. Christ's death was not the death of a criminal. It was an atoning death. It was a voluntary death. It was a sacrificial death on behalf of others. 2 Corinthians 5.21 describes it as, "...he who knew no sin became sin for us. Without the death of Christ, there could be no salvation. And He did it, died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. The death of Jesus was not an afterthought. It was foretold long ago in many ways in the Old Testament. It is the pinnacle of the plan of God to redeem people. Now, Paul just says, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Which Scriptures? Well, the sum total of all of them up to that point. He doesn't mention a specific passage, but the most obvious one he could have probably referred to would be Isaiah 53, describing the sacrificial death of Christ. So Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and He was buried. Well, you only bury people when they're dead. There was ample proof of the reality of the death of Jesus. We saw that recently in our studies of Mark. The regular burial customs of the Jews were followed. The the expert Roman executioners verified his death before Joseph and Nicodemus were allowed to take his body from the cross. It was not just some spiritual event. All four Gospels carefully document and describe the death and the burial of Jesus. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures and He was buried. Fact number two, He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. There's a passive voice there. He was raised. That points to the Father's work in raising the Son whom He sent. The the perfect tense, as always, means that the act is completed and the results continue in full force. He was raised and He he's still alive. As a matter of fact, he's coming back. Jesus' resurrection was not like the ones that he performed, not like the resurrection of Lazarus and the others mentioned in the Bible that were raised, who went on to eventually die later. Jesus is the forever risen Lord. Now, I pointed out to you on Easter when we were in Mark 16, 1 through 8, there is no Description of the actual resurrection of Jesus anywhere in the Bible. We do not have an explanation. First, he developed a heartbeat, then, he began breathing, then, his eyes. We have no idea exactly how it happened, except that it was, of course, a miracle. But just because we didn't see it, just because there's not an eyewitness record of exactly how it happened, that doesn't mean that there's not abundant proof. We have abundant proof that it happened. The proof of Jesus' resurrection is in His appearances after He rose. And so Paul flows right into a list of most of them here in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 5 through 8. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And verse 5, that He appeared to Cephas, named for Peter, then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared to me also. Now, that's quite a bit of eyewitness testimony. People saw the risen Jesus, over 500 people. It was just at one time. And this is not an exhaustive list. If you're thinking back to what we've studied recently in the Gospels, it skips at least the women at the tomb that He spoke to before they went their way. Um, There were the two disciples that he spoke to on the road to uh, Emmaus. We know that um, these appearances were spread over 40 days, except for the appearance to Paul, which came uh, years later. We don't know how many more times he appeared during uh, those 40 days. But it says, lists them pretty specifically, as if Paul's saying, "'Hey, go check it out. Talk to these people.'" Cephas, that's another name for Peter— that appearance is mentioned in Luke 24:34 but all it says is he appeared to Peter. We're not told what they talked about, what they did anything like that. Then to the 12, you say, "Well, that's a mistake, there were only 11 because Judas hung himself." Well, no, the 12 is the nickname for the whole brand, or the whole band of the original apostles.